الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد كلوا واشربوا ولا تسرفوا صدق الله العظيم Dear respected friends and our brothers and our sisters There are many many ways in which a person can either have shortcomings or can have excess in their life uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be the perfect human being perfection and beauty is defined as proportion proportion means when you consider something to be beautiful it's because it's in the right proportion the symmetry the equality the moderation is in proportion and human beings are naturally inclined towards beauty and towards perfect proportion so in everything including not just our physique not just the way we look a lot of the time the way we look is not something we have much control over I mean I know people have plastic surgery and they do facelifts and they do facial fillers and they do a lot of these other things to try to correct what they think is a flaw and in some cases it's not a flaw they just want to aesthetically look more pleasing but what we have to understand is that more importantly looks are important we're not saying they're not important because looks are important for a lot of people but what's more is that when you get something whether that be a product, whether that be somebody you live with, somebody you stay with, just looks are not going to be enough. Especially if it's another human being. For example, you want a business partner. You want a spouse. A husband is looking for a wife, a wife is looking for a husband. If your entire focus is just outward beauty, then that's not the right way to look at it because that's not why you get married or that's not why you do a business. You're not just going to look and stare at somebody's beauty all day long. That's not what people are there for. You interact with people. Interaction is probably more than how much you look at somebody. Interaction is where the real beauty needs to be. Because in interaction, and interaction comes through akhlaq and character through conduct how do you get conduct how do you get the perfect conduct well there's several things within us which have to be balanced to get the most perfect or as close to perfect as possible character if somebody gets angry too quickly then they can't have good character unless they control that anger they learn to control it Allah has made us all in different ways some of us he makes us get angry quickly some of us get angry quickly and calm down very slowly. Some of us get angry quickly, but we calm down very fast as well. And some of us don't get angry quickly. It takes a long time to get us angry. 
So these are different challenges that we all have. Then there is of course greed of the stomach, wanting to fulfill the stomach, which then comes from the eyes, it comes from the tongue, it comes from the taste. All of that is linked. So we have to have moderation in all of these things. If you have too much, then we will be indulgent. It will lead to problems like gluttony. Gluttony means overeating. Unfortunately today it's become very easy to overeat. The reason is that, just take the example, if you go to a hotel, a decent hotel, a five-star, four-star hotel, and you just go for breakfast, how many things will be on the menu for us to eat? What's the variety? If you look at just the cereals, there will be maybe about four or five different types of cereals. Not just the cereals, there'll be lots of other things you can add into the cereal. Then you go to the bread department and there'll be various different types of bread and things you can eat with the bread. And then depending on where you are, there's going to be many different types of foods. So generally when you see all of this food, unless we have a discipline, then you want to go and try everything out. And it's why are we trying everything out when everything is going to become the same once we eat it? And is it even healthy to have 10 different types of food or 5 different types of food at once going into your stomach? I mean, most of us are educated about these things, about chemical reactions, foods mixing with one another, causing different things. Subhanallah, you know, when you think about it this way, that we're putting so much of a complicated mixture of things in our body, the pleasure of it was only when we were looking at it, they looked beautiful, and then when we ate it. After it, it's gone into the stomach, and it's gonna, the stomach has to work hard now to deal with this. The stomach has to process this. It has to go through this whole industry inside for it to then to take the benefit, the beneficial part of it, and to remove the harms of it, so that it doesn't stay in the body. So that's a very difficult one. And out of the two major challenges that human beings have, one is filling the stomach, and the other one is fulfilling the desire of the private parts. So fulfilling the desire of the stomach and fulfilling the desire of the private parts, these are two things. Now where do you think the eyes come into this? The eyes are linked to both parts. So there's certain things you see and you want to eat them. There's certain things you want to see and you want to fulfill your sexual desire through them. So the eye is like a satellite for both of these things. I mean, of course, the ears, you hear some uh, description of some kind of special food or restaurant and the way they cook their food and present it. And then that brings the water into your mouth, makes you salivate and wanting to have that. So there's a, th these things are linked to both of these desires to fulfill them. But which desire do you think comes first? The desire of the stomach or the desire of the private parts? Which one do you think comes first for a human being? It has to be the desire for the stomach because even children have that. Now children when they get hungry they want to cry. They cry. That's not necessarily greed. This is just the desire to eat. So then as you grow up, you're told about many different things and you want to try them out and you want to eat them.
And then after that, as we continue to grow up, then we actually have uh, the desire of the private part. That also now starts to show its desire. So now we have two things to fulfill. And some ulama, they consider that, uh, some psychologist uh, ulama, they consider that both of these things are related. So what that does is that if we're overeating, then what we're doing is we're actually cr we're going beyond the balance, beyond moderation. Because we're putting into ourselves many, many different things. The Prophet ﷺ said, don't slay your heart, don't destroy your heart with too much food and drink. Because the heart is like a farmland. If you have plants, some people think that because plants need water, that you should, you should water them. Now anybody who's done gardening, they will notice that there are two problems with watering. There's two things you have to be careful about. One is that you should water it so that the water only reaches the soil and you don't water it from the top so that it makes the leaf soggy because sometimes that creates a bacteria and that destroys the flower. So you're supposed to water the roots through the soil only and not the leaves in some cases, in some flowers. Number two, you can't over water it. When you water it too much, it loses its ability to deal with that. So likewise, when it comes to the heart, when it comes to the human body, we need some food. But we need to f provide that food and water in the right way. Not in the wrong way and we don't over water it. Otherwise, the system can't deal with it. And it creates so many different problems. So that's why he also said a descendant of Adam salam, can fill no container which is worse than his own belly. That from a food perspective, from a medical perspective, is considered to be one of the greatest wisdoms probably ever said. Because most people, most experts will agree that it's what we eat that defines us in many cases. Defines how we are, what we do. And I know that Western medicine doesn't focus, allopathic medicine unfortunately doesn't focus too much on the effects of certain foods. And that's why they pretty much say you can eat whatever you want. They just tell you not to eat for a short while. But otherwise, when you do eat, you can eat whatever you want, generally speaking. Whereas most other ancient medicines, medicine systems of the world, like Ayurvedic medicine, Yunani medicine, Chinese medicine, they speak about how each, of, each food has a certain effect, a heating effect and a cooling effect. They can't be wrong. It just can't be all wrong. And with certain foods, you actually feel it sometimes. That certain foods like dates, for example, have a heating effect. Even though they're not actually thermally hot. But they have a heating effect to the body. Anyway, I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a physician, so I'm not going to carry on with that. But another thing the Prophet ﷺ said, that for the human being, a few small mouthfuls, luqaymat, a few small mouthfuls should be sufficient to keep their back straight. Now if only we could do that. Our culture doesn't allow that. This is the problem. If you have a baby, a child growing up and they don't eat much, parents get worried, they take them to the doctor. My child isn't eating. That should be a blessing that your child doesn't eat much. So that hopefully when they grow up, they don't grow up with all of the ex excess fat. When adults stop eating too much and you go to an invitation and you don't eat, then people get a bit annoyed that you don't eat too much. 
okay, maybe you can indulge when you're at somebody's, you know, when you're invited to somebody because maybe you can indulge once in a while. But if you're being invited all the time, then it becomes a big challenge that everybody wants to feed you special foods and dishes. It becomes much more difficult because our culture is not, I mean, yes, dieting is supposed to be cool, but when you go to feed people, the normal human culture is that you make them eat and you insist that they eat. So the Prophet said that if you cannot suffice with just a few mouthfuls to stay straight, then let him fill one third with food, one third with water, with drink, and the other keep for the breath. Now, when you tell somebody that, they will give, they will, they will give certain responses that it's okay, the air can find its way through anything. It's very difficult to completely seal a place to allow no air to come in. So they use this to say, it's okay, fill your stomach up, the air will make its way anyway. Once Hassan al-Basi rahimahullah, he relates from Aisha radiallahu anha, who says that, knock persistently on the door of paradise and it should be open for you. If you try hard enough, you'll get into paradise. Now, that seems like a great and easy, easy advice, but the question was asked, how should we do that? He said, with hunger and thirst. The, the, hunger, the hungrier you remain and the thirsty you remain, then it is easier to know. Why is that? Now, we have to look at several other hadith and advice to understand this because just this on its own, why, how, does, how is hunger beneficial? And how is thirst beneficial for us? Because we understand that if you're hungry, you should eat. Keep the sugars up. Make sure you stay healthy, especially if you have diabetes. You're told to eat several times a day in at least small amounts so that you don't get low blood sugar, which is a genuine problem. Luqman once said to his son, عنه, he said, Oh my son, when the belly is full, then the intellect sleeps. When the belly is full, the intellect sleeps. Wisdom is silenced. And all the other members of the body, all the other limbs of the body, they become too lazy and slothful to perform any acts of worship. We, we, we feel this, that when you've had a good hearty dinner, you just want to relax for a while. I mean, the biologists, etc., they'll explain that obviously it depends on the type of food as well. There are certain gases, because food, when it goes into the stomach, it has to be processed in a certain way. It releases certain gases. That those gases, they go up to the brain. That's why if somebody hasn't been able to relieve themselves, they feel very tired and sleepy. And they come to the doctor, I said, I feel tired and sleepy. Maybe they just need to go toilets. Maybe they just need to relieve themselves sometimes. Right? So different foods obviously have different impacts, impacts on us. Now, let us just talk about hunger in general. Now, most of us, alhamdulillah, we get food to eat, especially if in Western countries, we get food to eat. However, to understand the benefits and the virtues of hunger may inshallah encourage us to eat less. I know this is something very difficult because we've been doing it for so long. And if we've been doing something for so long, it becomes very difficult to change. But the way to bring change in our life is to listen to the benefits. So I speak to myself first because this is something I have weakness for. When you have good food there, you eat it. And this is a problem. I'm, 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 it's not easy. 
So there are various different ways. I mean, one of the ways could be there's several different diets that have been around. A lot of those, they, don't, they work for the short term. There was the Atkins diet. Now there's the new one, which is the low-carb diet. It's just given a new name. What's the new name of the low-carb low diet now? I forget what it's called. Maybe you guys don't know. Um, it used to be called the Atkins diet. And now it's called something else. And you can lose pounds really fast. You can lose kilos very fast with that. But the problem is that how sustainable is it after the year that you're on it? Because eventually it becomes difficult to do that because it's unnatural. Right? The best diet they say is the, the five and two diet, which is to fast for two days. Monday and Thursday as, as is encouraged in Islam as well, Monday and Thursday. That's probably the most sustainable to be honest. If you can just learn to fast Monday and Thursday, that's probably the most sustainable. And slowly, slowly, the lesser we eat, hopefully, we will become less accustomed to eating more over time. Anyway, here are some virtues we hope to, we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it inspires us. Some of this clicks in our mind and inspires us that the next time there's so much food in front of us, we take it easy. Firstly, purification of the heart, the illumination of the natural disposition and the sharpening of one's insight, a person gains through eating less. Because when you've eaten less, you feel lighter. Even physically you feel lighter. If you're going to eat less, you're probably going to eat less variety. And generally speaking, uh, we now have access to different qualities of food. In the modern world today, we have access to different qualities of food. Where there's less food, then there's going to be less variety. Because everybody's struggling. So there's only one type of rice, maybe two types of rice, wheat, etc. But mashallah, in countries like this, we have a whole variety. You want organic rice, you want black rice, you want white rice, you want jasmine rice, you want basmati rice. Even the basmati rice is about 20 different types of various different degrees. So in everything, we have such a variety. So what may be a good idea for those who can do it is to eat less but eat more wholesome food because we know that the, the market now is all based on creating more profits. So a lot of the food is on, a lot of the cheaper food that is, is, is not produced very well. Um, what's very interesting in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they're saying that one of the first bid'ah, and this does not mean a religious bid'ah necessarily of haram or something like this, but it's talking about an innovation of practice. One of the first innovations in the, uh, after the time of the Prophet ﷺ was for people to start sifting their flour so that all of the uh, only the purest part remains and all of the the shaf, the, 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 the wholesomeness uh, goes away in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they would just kind of blow on it just slightly just so that the more rough stuff goes off but the other roughage would be there which is actually good for the body but now the whole bakery system, how they produce bread now, is that the cheapest flour is the bleached flour that has been processed. It's been bleached to look white because it looks, white flour looks better. The brown flour doesn't look as good. Unless you're a health freak, then only that looks good and the other one now uh, makes you, uh, disgusts you. And now if you actually want to buy good brown bread with all the roughage, it costs you more. 
which is supposed to be natural, that actually costs you more. So for example, if you buy the most ancient form of bread that's available, which is called a sourdough bread. Sourdough bread is made up of three, only three ingredients. It has no yeast either. It's just made of uh, a, flour, flour, uh, a sourdough starter, wheat, uh, water and the wheat. That's all it's made of. And it lasts for several days. And it's supposed to be the most ancient form of bread making. Anybody tried sourdough here? Only one person. Subhanallah, once you start sourdough, you can't, it, it, but it's very expensive. One loaf of normal bread, normal bread may be $1, $1.50. A sourdough is at least $2.50, $3 minimum. And the good stuff is $4 and $5. Why am I talking about dollars? Euros. Euros. Pounds. So, as you can see, the whole world is different now. Even the fish that we have. The salmon, which everybody enjoys generally. Most of it is farmed. And what's the problem with farmed salmon? They, add, they have to add pink and red color to it to make it red and pink. Otherwise, because of the condition in which they farm it, the fish don't come out with the right color. How can you have salmon which is not red or pink? Other fish is white, but the distinctive feature of salmon is that. Now, if you want to get wild salmon, which is naturally pink or red, it costs 20, uh, two times or nearly three times as much. 100 to 150% is increased on the price. This is the kind of stuff we're eating, right? And in abundance, it's cheap and it's available and a variety. For example, baklava, which you can get now nearly everywhere you want, even in the Western world, was something that was restricted to the Ottoman kitchens where it was initially developed. Today, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in front of us, maybe as a fitna, as a challenge, as much variety of food that would have only been available to the very rich and upper class. Like the very rich and only the elite class about a hundred years ago. Today, you and I, even if we don't make any money, we have access to this. So, it's difficult. That's what I'm trying to say. It's very difficult to do this. There has to be some special iman. And the only other people that I've managed to see who become disciplined are people who've had a heart attack or have some serious health conditions. Then they wake up and they think, okay, I better be careful now because I love my body more than I love my food. I'm supposed to love my body more than I love my food. So here are Imam Ghazali mentions 10 different benefits. Let us look at these 10 benefits. The first is that when you eat less, inshallah, there'll be purification of the heart. It'll be easier to focus on purifying the heart because you'll be able to do more deeds and will be able to inshallah indulge less. Ibn Abbas reports the Prophet said the heart of whomever eats his fill and then sleeps will grow harder. And that's why then he said there is zakat for everything and the zakat of the stomach is hunger. That's why the zakat that we have of uh, the hunger is in Ramadan. Ramadan is around the corner. We're told to eat less throughout the month. That's the zakat. But we also need sadaqah throughout the year in the forms of other, other types of hunger, other types of uh, fasting as well. Number two, eating less softens the heart. When the heart is softened due to certain circumstances, it will be affected more powerfully by the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
if the heart is softer because remember meat is one of the most effect most detrimental things for the heart both cardiologically as they say that eat less red meats they say white is better than red and fish is better than white that's what they generally tell you that's cardiologically from a cardiology perspective but even from a spiritual perspective we've discussed this several times so i'm not going to discuss it too much now but uh, the, the, there are there is a umar who spoke about that and uh, the idea is that if you eat 40 uh, for 40 days if you eat meat every day your heart will get hard spiritually so if that happens and not just i mean we have to understand this is not just with meat it's with eating too much as well i think we have to be fair and ex- say that just if you come off meat but you start eating other stuff in abundance it's the same kind of thing right because eating too much will harden the heart if the heart is soft the dhikr we do the prayer we do inshallah that will hopefully benefit us more number three by eating less it helps to control and abase the soul the nafs because one of the when you want to control something when you want to train something you we generally deprive it of what its addiction is so slowly slowly it gets used to being without the addiction so if our addiction is food and we try to train it then it means it will get less. That's the whole, one of the biggest purposes of Ramadan is uh, to decrease our eating, our drinking, and our sexual intercourse. These eating and drinking is related to the stomach, sexual intercourse related to the private parts. How does that help? The way it helps is quite simple. Eating, drinking, and sexual intercourse with one spouse is a lawful endeavor. It's lawful to do so. So what the Prophet ﷺ, what Allah is telling us is that in Ramadan you decrease this and your nafs is going to want it. You're going to go to work and you're going to want a cup of coffee, cup of tea. You're going to feel tired. You say you can't have it because I'm fasting. You've got 10 hours left. So the nafs will ask again. No, I'm really thirsty. You said you can't have it. Slowly, slowly it will stop asking. After the third and fourth day, you don't feel like having the coffee anymore. You get used to it. You get used to it. The benefit of this is obviously that when you get used to that, we get used to controlling ourselves and saying no to ourselves. So hopefully if we do this for 30 days, then after Ramadan, if it wants something, it should be easy for us to say, no, you can't do it. If it wants something haram, if it wants to overeat, it says don't do it. But unfortunately, what happens in Ramadan is that Ramadan, the best of foods come out in Ramadan. The women get some special barakah in their time and their ability and they cook all of these new things that they never cook otherwise. And we end up sometimes just doing qada of all of the hunger of the day in the evening. So it ends up becoming the same thing sometimes, unfortunately. Whereas Ramadan was supposed to be for taqlilul ta'am, taqlilul sharab, taqlilul manam. But unfortunately, it's like we have to do qada for it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. That is why the number three was, it will help you control your nafs. If you control your nafs in halal things, because at the end of the day, food is halal. Although the ulama have mentioned, if you eat beyond satiation, beyond being satisfied, it becomes haram to eat. That extra luqma. Sometimes, you know, you're eating at somebody's house and they say, have some more. I said, no. I, you know. They say, no, no, eat some more. It's okay. It's okay. And you have to tell them then, it's haram afterwards. How is it haram? This is halal food. You're telling me my, haram, my food is haram. 
The food is halal, but the way you take it is haram. Number four, eating less, inshallah, will help us, uh, will, will help us never to forget Allah's trials and torments or those who are afflicted by them. It creates a sympathy and empathy for the poor and those who do not have. Because when you st start staying hungry, you feel the pangs of hunger. And you start realizing how other people feel, and inshallah that will make us help donate more and help others more. Number five is breaking off desire to sin and achieving mastery over the soul which commands to evil. I explained a bit of this in number three already which is that the less we eat, then inshallah we can have control over even haram things as well. I explain both of them there. Uh, Aisha radiallahu anha says that one of the first innovations to appear after Allah's Prophet died was that people would eat now to their fill. They started eating to their fill and when people's bellies were satiated, then their souls they bolted and ran after the things of the world. There's a connection between eating too much and fulfilling the desire. There's a connection between those two things. Number six, it will help you sleep less. You've got people who say, I sleep but I can't wake up for Fajr. I put two alarm clocks on, still can't get up. Now sometimes, I mean, one of the things you, you, you tell them, okay, sleep early, right? Sleep early. But sometimes they may even be sleeping early, but they may be eating too much. Eating, sometimes going to sleep, it actually helps you sleep longer. Once I went to another country on the other side of the world. So when we got there, it was afternoon and it was nighttime in the UK. And our host asked, do you want to eat now or do you want to have a two-hour rest and then eat afterwards? So on the way, we hadn't had any proper food. We'd been eating along, you know, bits and bobs. I thought, I'm not feeling too hungry right now. Let me just go to sleep, wake up. But I couldn't get to sleep. I just couldn't get to sleep because of the jet lag and the different timings. And then it was time to wake up and then we ate. And then I had to go and visit somebody and I started feeling sleepy. So, wallahu alam, if that was the food or if that was just finally, you know, your body clock kicking in. But generally speaking, I mean, the, you eat more, especially rice and things like that. There are certain foods you eat them, you need to sleep afterwards. That's why the people who worked on the farms, that's what they used to do. They used to, in India, for example, in Gujarat, in one section at least, afternoon is rice. Every day they eat rice. Now, they work in the fields, they sweat. They work hard. They need the carbs. Right? They have a little nap as well. Now we're eating that same kind of food from those countries in Western countries where we don't work so hard enough. Now that's another thing. I don't know if anybody's looked into these things. There are several things that I'd like somebody to actually study. Eating a certain diet of a certain country in another country while changing your lifestyle. And the other thing which uh, relates more to Indian Pakistani spices. We're using the same huge collection of spices from those countries which are very hot climate in cold climate countries where they're not indigenous. How is that helping? How is that, is that harming? Is that helping? Because 
there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created certain spices in only some countries, in some areas and not in others. And why people there have them and not in other areas. Nowadays, mashallah, you can go into many of these stores and you can find things from all around the world. Right? Whoever wants, they can have it. So it'll help, inshallah, a man who eats and drinks abundantly will sleep abundantly as well. Number seven, lengthy acts of worship are made easier for somebody who eats less. Um, one of the akabir of the past, he said, I once saw Ali al-Jurjani eating barley porridge with his fingers. How do you eat porridge with your fingers? You, generally, people eat porridge with a spoon because it's very runny. And if you're going to eat porridge with your fingers, you're going to get very less. So he said, I saw him eating porridge with his fingers. What made you do this? I asked him. He said, I've done all the calculations. He's talking about efficiency. He wants to be very productive. So he's figured out an efficient system. He said, I have calculated that the difference between chewing bread and eating in this way is 70 subhanallah. I can do 70 subhanallah more if I eat this than if I eat bread. So I have not chewed bread for 40 years. Uh, Ibn al-Jawzi rahmatullahi alayhi, he said that he went to, I think it was Egypt, he went to for a short amount of time to study. And he said that we had absolutely no time to cook any food. And we were two young guys. We would go to a class, we would then run to the next class, and then we would write our notes, and we had no time for anything else. But one day, we went to the sheikh, and the sheikh wasn't there. So that's half an hour, 45 minutes free time. So we saw that there was uh, somebody selling some really tasty fish, fresh. So we bought some fish. We took it home. By the time we got home, it was too late to fix it, to clean it and to cook it, because we had to rush off to the next class. He said, it was only after two to three days that we had enough time. We saw that the fish was going to go bad, so we just ate it sushi. We ate it raw afterwards. Now, of course, not everybody's going to do that. There are some people, they're so into their work that they miss food and they just have a quick bite here and there. They just grab a sandwich. They just grab a smoothie. You know, they, they, I don't know. I mean, that's not the same thing. See what I'm saying? But that's it. You don't need to do I'm not saying you need to do that. These are just ideas. Number eight, bodily health, which results, will result from eating less. I, I don't think the doctors will tell you otherwise. That, that is for sure, right? You'll get bodily health. And with bodily health, uh, most diseases are caused by overeating. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that you will have uh, the worst vessel you can fill is eating too much. And then number nine, he says, which is obvious, reduced expenditure. You'll spend less, you'll have more money if you buy less. If you become used to eating little, you'll have a saving and otherwise you need more, more food to, uh, sorry, more money to bring more food. And number 10 is when you have less, when you eat less for yourself, It'll be easier to let some, put somebody else before us, to be self, selfless. It'll be easier to be selfless and to help others and to put somebody else before us, to give our surplus to the orphans and the poor 
Because most people they collect because they want to collect for their family. They want to establish their family. They want to establish their children. Now if we can get our entire family used to doing this, then inshallah, hopefully we can give out more to others. Because then we don't feel so greedy for ourselves that I can buy more for myself. May Allah give us the tawfiq. May Allah give us the tawfiq. Um, I'm going to move on to the next topic, which is about the private parts. Imam Ghazali, who has a good discussion of this, I will cover some aspects from his work, inshallah. May Allah bless him. May Allah have mercy on him. He says that, know that man has been made subject to sexual desire for two beneficial reasons. Why do human beings have sexual desire? I was just having a discussion with somebody about paradise. And he was wondering why there's an... Um, I'm not sure if I understood his purport, his intention correctly. But he said this whole concept of hurul in and having this concept of fulfilling your desire in paradise, isn't that like a lowly thing? And as long as you do it right, it should not be taken as a lowly thing. You and I would not exist without it. The whole reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed this, Muslims need to understand. Because there's a, such a prohibition of zina, and a discouragement towards illicit sexual intercourse and la taqrabu zina and don't go close to zina it gives this impression for some people have an impression that maybe sexual intercourse is a bad thing but it's not supposed to be a bad thing doing it well is a sadaqah do it well doing it well is a keeping the balance of your that's why the prophet ﷺ got very angry when somebody said they will not marry and at least in the Hanafi understanding position to get married and then to worship Allah as best as you can is superior to not getting married and worshiping Allah because it's more of a challenge with marriage and it's part of procreation and the Prophet wants us to increase the ummah and sexual intercourse done properly is a pure thing is a beneficial thing but as we know, shaitan comes and creates a problem with it. And that's why we're told to recite a dua. For some people, ajib, for some people, they say the sexual experience gives them a taste of the hereafter, of the blessings to come. Look at what Imam Ghazali says. He's, he says the first, uh, th there are two be beneficial reasons of why sexual intercourse um, has been given to people. Number one, is that by knowing its delight because one of the highest forms of delight is through sexual intercourse a person is able to draw an, an analogy which gives him an idea of the blessings of the hereafter sexual intercourse gives us an idea of the great blessings of the hereafter that if it's if everything else is going to be so much more than we taste it right now a fruit we taste food we taste paradise is going to have even greater then imagine sexual intercourse. How can that be even greater when it's so great already? It's to give us an idea to encourage us towards the hereafter. That's why somebody told me that a shaykh, a certain shaykh saying that you can actually re reach, become a friend of Allah, attain wilaya, if you understand sexual inter intercourse correctly, because of what it can benefit you 
in the right way. Just the problem is that there are so many sexual biases nowadays. Just like, as I explained, all of the different choices of food products that make it difficult for us to moderate. We have to understand one thing. Be medicine is beneficial. Medicine is sometimes bitter. Somebody takes medicine and they benefit from it. So then they think that uh, it must be because of the bitter taste. So then they start loving everything bitter. That's, you're going to consider that to be a very strange idea. Medicine is not beneficial because it's bitter. It's bitter as a side reason. Not all medicine is bitter. Some medicine is bitter. So we have to be able to understand what something is for and not confuse some other aspects of it. And that's when it comes out of moderation. So he says the first benefit is that you'll be able to understand what some of the pleasure feels like of the hereafter. And the second one, for the delight of the sexual act, were it to last, would be the greatest pleasure of the body. I mean, I'm being a bit graphic here because it's the discussion, right? So hopefully these children don't know what I'm talking about anyway, right? Because they say that uh, one of the things that you can't explain to anybody is the pleasure of becoming baligh. You just can't explain that to somebody. You can explain how a fruit tastes. Has anybody had durian here? One. Now if I was to explain to the rest of you what durian tastes like, Maybe it tastes like sweet jackfruit, mango, onion mixture maybe, right? It's about there, but you, you can't really, I mean, can you mix those ingredients in your mind? You take a mango, you take jackfruit, and you take onions, you mix that together, make it like a cream, and it has a very strong smell, but it tastes wonderful. Now, that's very difficult to do right now. But uh, same thing with sexual intercourse. So that's why he's saying that for the, he, the Imam Ghazali is saying that the delight of the sexual act were it to last, it would be the greatest pleasure for the body. That's why Allah just gives us instances of it, and then it goes. Instances, and then it goes. All good things are like that. You have to work hard to get them, and then they're gone, right? The second, is, the second point is that it allows the human race to continue and the world to abide. That is the purpose of sexual intercourse. Allah could have made it different, but He added the benefit of the pleasure in it. Otherwise, it would have been the mechanical process to create a baby. You do this, you do that, there'll be no pleasure in it. People may not want to do it. Subhanallah. And that's why they say that when in the West, where sexual promiscuity, sexual license, license, what's the word? Licentiousness. I think that's the word, I can't even pronounce it. Um, it happened after they created the pill. In the 1970s or so, when the pill was developed, after that, that is when, I mean, before that, women had to be very careful. Right? Men used to go around and do what they want. But women had to be very careful because they would have to then carry the baby if they got pregnant. As soon as the pill was developed, they said that is the freedom of the woman. That basically just expanded the zina. 
And to be honest, there are now research taking place, research showing that how, you see, we have to deal with the aftermath when, when women have this issue of, and then the bleeding pattern changes. Because remember, what you're taking in through the pill is hormones, right? And that creates a whole change in the body. A woman has a lot of hormones. This is creating a whole different system within, and affects you, sometimes very negatively. Factors of weight and lots of things, you know, that, uh, depending on which pill you take and so on. And he says that even when you go off the pill, it takes nearly two years for your body to go back to normal, to regain its natural state. And most women, I'm assuming, are taking this, taking pills, rather than using other methods, because the, that's more difficult for men and so on, and it's just safer for women to do this. We need to look into this. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you do the same thing. Our body is an amana. I'm not, I'm not doing conspiracy theories here. I'm not trying to rile up some kind of weird idea. I'm just saying we need to look at this carefully. Right? And there's not enough money to look at these things because it's against the capitalism. It's against consumerism. Right? Because people want to just sell things like this. Then he says, sexual intercourse also contains many evils. It has these two benefits, primary benefits, but it also contains many evils, which may destroy both our religion and the world if it is not controlled. It may destroy both things. If it's, if, if it's not controlled, then the body will not remain in equilibrium. Just like with food, it will not be moderate. Likewise, with too much sexual intercourse, you have the same problem. That's why, you know, Rabbana la tuhammilna ma la taqatalana bih. In the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, you have this, this verse, part of the verse, Rabbana la tuhammilna ma la taqatalana bih. Our, our Lord, do not make us bear, do not burden us with that which we cannot bear. That's why it's been said that these words refer, when correctly interpreted, to powerful lust. Lust is very powerful. It has people, it, it, it causes people to go and commit a lot of haram. It spoils family. It creates many, many problems. Just now, somebody contacted me. It was a, a sister. She's saying her husband had an affair. Her husband, they, they had a perfectly fine life. Husband had an affair. And the woman he had an affair with got pregnant. Whether with precaution, despite precaution, I don't know. She found out, the wife found out. The husband is now very sorry because he's a practicing person, but he fell. He, he made a mistake. He had a discussion with the other woman and because she's not married, they were gonna have a, she was gonna have a divorce, uh, sorry, she was gonna have an abortion. Then it turns out later and the husband, I think the wife forgot about it, okay, I forgive him, whatever. Then later they find out that she's keeping the baby. Now this is causing such, the husband, he's very sorry, he's asking forgiveness and everything. But now you've got a, you, you brought a baby in the picture. 
what are you going to do now? You know? This wife is saying, how can I, I know there's a baby out there who is his child. It's going to cause complications in the world. And this is just one example. This is just one example. You see a lot of activists, they're talking about, people shouldn't talk about getting married again. Most people don't get married again. They're saying, people talking about getting married, secret weddings, secret nikahs, second wife, this, that, and that, or secret nikahs and so on. To be honest, when you look at it carefully, a secret nikah, only a few people are doing that. They're the ones who have some, a bit of consciousness. Because those have, who have no consciousness, they're just committing zina. Because it's so easy to do nowadays. It's so easy to do and get away with it. But it leaves so many problems. So just like uh, the private parts, they have benefits, it also has many, many evils which may destroy for somebody both their religion and their dunya if it is not controlled and subjugated. So that's why there's a few du'as which are very beneficial. One is this one, رَبَّنَا لَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ And another one which is very beneficial is Allahumma kfini bi halalika an haramik wa aghnini bi fadlika amman siwak. Very beneficial. What it means is, oh Allah, suffice me. Give me sufficiently, give me happiness with the halal away from the haram. So if it's a man, he's going to say, I've got a wife, a good wife. Make me satisfied with her. So I don't have to indulge in haram. Make me satisfied with the with the halal, not with the haram. And make me independent from everybody but you. You see what I'm saying? This dua is generally recommended for getting out of debt. Generally this dua when it's mentioned, it's about getting in debt because when a person is in debt, they may, it may force them to do haram deals, har- selling haram, haram things, so then they go into that di- the other direction. I believe that it works in this case as well. So, if you've got a woman, she's seeing others and, you know, shaitan is coming to her, a man, shaitan is coming to him, because there's a lot of attraction out there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fitna out there, for both men and women. If you keep reading this dua, Allah will give you satisfaction with your spouse. And another dua which is very beneficial, because a lot of the time, a person has a spouse, but then they may have a bit of a weakness, they may have some defects. Everybody has a defect, everybody has a bad quality or something. So what's going to happen is that they're looking somewhere else and they think they have a good quality. But they haven't really lived with the other person to understand their bad quality, they just see a few qualities. That's why the ulama mentioned that there's a dua which is very beneficial. رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنَ so this is the third dua. Our Lord, grant us from our spouses and our children progeny those that will delight our eyes and gladden our eyes. That's why the ulama then write that if you do have problems with your spouse, you find some defects, focus on the good. Everybody has positive and negative, focus on the positive and keep reading this dua. It is possible that within a short time, Allah will either remove their defects or he will make you blind to their defects even if they still have them. 
and you will focus on the the good points the good qualities and that will suffice you and make you happy at the end of the day it's your personal happiness that matters for some people if their car has a slight problem they can't drive the car they, I need to get it fixed other people say it's not a problem it's a very personal thing of the way Allah makes certain people feel if Allah can make you feel satisfied with the halal away from the haram alhamdulillah that's sufficient because it's personal pleasure that we want we don't want shaitan to promise us wrong pleasures this is the thing another point Imam Ghazali makes rahmatullahi alayhi I'm gonna just make one or two more points and I'm gonna open it up for questions inshallah the desire for women he's talking to men for men the desire for women which is the greatest of all desires is susceptible to excess defects and equilibrium basically the man's desire for women can either be excessive just all the time the wife is saying give me rest all the time and then he warns he said if you don't I'm gonna get another wife so then she feels pressured and see what I'm saying some people blackmail I mean I know sometimes some women they they act more reluctant than they should do right than normal that's that's another issue here and everybody's mature and you need to understand this all right at other times their weakness is defect they don't have enough they're not some some wives are complaining he just comes home at night late sticks stays out with his friends goes to sleep and so on and so forth and number three some people are mashallah moderate so it could be three three levels of relationship excess obtains when the intellect is overcome when you get excess is when intellectually you've understood something wrong and your heart wants something different so a man's concern is so distracted towards the enjoyment of women that he's unable to tread the path of the afterlife the whole focus becomes just gaining pleasure that dominates everything else so if the focus becomes making money it'll do dominate everything else we'll neglect our families as well at our work if the focus becomes women for men then they, they will dominate everything else or it may even overcome a man's religion so forget your dunya you'll spoil your dunya will also spoil your religion so that he's drawn into obscene activities essentially when a person is going into sexual def uh, sexual vices the reason is that they're not happy with the proper way so they're going into the sexual vices whatever form that sexual vice is that just talking about overindulgence that's why Imam Ghazali is talking about that desire if it goes into the excess it may end up becoming just amorous passion or ishq which constitutes utter ignorance of the intended purpose of sexual congress and it causes a person to descend to the lower level of animals that's not what it should be about yes it should be enjoyed we're not saying don't enjoy it and just do it for procreation it should be thoroughly enjoyed the Prophet ﷺ actually encouraged and talked about the importance of foreplay and for men not to just be with their women and then not satisfy them but just satisfy themselves the Prophet ﷺ spoke about all of this right I've got a book coming out inshallah the handbook to a healthy Muslim marriage 
And there's a section in there that discusses this very importantly that people should understand. And then of course there's Mufti Muhammad's book on the more specifics of that subject itself. To break the power of amorous passion in its early stages is easier. Because it's like you're riding a beast that's heading for a door or a gate he wants to enter. To stop it from entering is easy. You can do that. But to try to treat this afterwards becomes much more difficult. It's then like trying to pull the animal by the tail to stop it. It's easier to stop an animal with the reins than if you're off the animal and it's doing its own thing and you're trying to stop it with its tail. It becomes very, di it becomes very difficult, much more difficult task. And of course, one of the other harms of it is that excessive sexual desire causes the intellect to be overcome. Which is condemned because everybody's just thinking, even in the praying salat, they're waiting for the next move. That becomes very dangerous. Uh, in fact, for some a person to even keep wudu may be difficult. Right? So insufficient sexual desire is also bad. If you have insufficient sexual desire, that's also bad because you will not be fulfilling the responsibility of your spouse. Sexual desire is a praiseworthy thing when it is done with the proper etiquette and moderation and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a final few things as I mentioned. We pray to Allah that He makes it easy for us to fast at least weekly, Mondays, Thursdays if possible. Uh, another few things is don't go shopping when you're hungry. Because you end up buying more, even things you don't need because you're, there's a concept that the eyes are hungrier than the stomach. And that's why they say that, you know, if you are very hungry, the reason why you should eat slowly is because if you eat fast, you eat faster than your brain can catch up and satisfy itself. I don't know what they call this in medicine, but I'm sure we all experience it. That sometimes you eat a lot and you still feel hungry, but you know that this much generally fills you up. So sometimes the eyes are... So if you eat slowly, it takes the, uh, the, the... It lets the brain catch up and you feel like, okay, I've had enough now. Benefits of eating with three fingers. Then it slows down the pace. I know some of us come from cultures where you eat with the fist. Where the rice is eaten with the fist. You take the rice like this and you make it into a ball. And then if you see somebody eating with three fingers, they're going to think this is like, uh, if it's a man, they're going to think you're a woman eating like this. Uh, that's why one of my friends, his name is Sheikh Hamza. He's, he's a really big guy. He's as, I think he's nearly as tall as me, but he's bigger than me. He was studying with some Mauritanian shuyukh. Now Mauritania, like Saudis, like Bangladesh, they eat rice with their fists, with their whole hand. Right? Afghanis as well, right? No? Not with the whole hand. Three fingers. All of them or just you guys? But you waste a lot of rice. They drop a lot of rice on the floor. Yeah? Because I remember I was with the Afghani friends and when they're eating, they eat from the center, right? From everybody eats together, but then on, in front you drip, drop a lot of rice. There's a lot of wastage. Hopefully you guys don't do that, inshallah. Different cultures do different things. So they, they were his, uh, some of his teachers as well, and they started laughing. Why are you eating? Because he's bigger than all of them. They're thin. He's the biggest. 
and he's eating with three fingers like this. So somebody, one of them said to him, Kul ka'akli rijal. Which basically means, eat like a man. So he said, Ana a'akul ka'afdalir rijal. I'm eating like the most superior of men, which is the Prophet. So we sometimes forget that kind of thing. I'm not saying it's haram to eat with your fist, but it's just uh, um, to slow ourselves down if you can eat with. I mean, when you're hungry, very hungry, then, you know, then it gets difficult. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to control ourselves because, inshallah, if we can control these two things, most of the problems of our life can be, uh, can be solved, inshallah. The health issues, the greed issues gluttony issues so may Allah we ask Allah to help us uh, despite all of the challenges around us the ease of food the variety of food that we have us may Allah allow this to be a true na'mah for us and this not to look like a na'mah but be a fitna for us because that's really what the issue is isn't it they have so much that we overindulge and the poor people they have so less that they can't even fill their stomach subhanallah may Allah give us a tawfiq wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen how can be hungry, angry, because of hunger? Oh, being cranky because of hunger. Now I need some medical help here because I have a view of this. If you have low blood sugar, you, uh, can you explain this? If you have low blood sugar, you get a bit cranky. Right? When you've had less food or you haven't had food for a while and you have low blood sugar, you get agitated easily. Right? It happens to me sometimes. So the family knows that, okay, we can feed him something. Right? In fact, one of my sons, uh, he used to cry a lot. Just suddenly, like he's getting very angry and very crying. It's like, why is he crying for? Once he's eaten, he's fine. So we know with him, you know that he's hungry. So just feed him, don't delay the food. How do you look at that medically? Is that low blood sugar creates agitation? You need to eat because of the low sugar in your system? So if it, I mean, for the person who feels like this, they should probably get themselves checked out. If, because if they have a condition like this, then it's a bit of a medical condition. So then make sure that you eat on time, right? Just so that, because being cranky is not a good, it's not good. Alhamdulillah, my close friends, they know that if I'm a bit, like when they call me and I'm not, then they know that it's probably hungry or something, so. Uh, but you can't use that as an excuse either. What is your advice for people with the porn addiction? Because a lot of people think they will stop when they get married, but that is not the case and marriage gets destructed by it. Marriage is not the full solution to pornography because pornography, I've got a whole lecture, it's, it's, what's it called? There's a whole treatment-based lecture that I've done. We ask Allah to make it easy for people because it's a very difficult thing. And there's a psychology behind it that people who are into porn, they, they, they actually eventually when they keep looking, there's a friend of mine who's a big, he's done a lot of research on this, he's in Michigan and he does PowerPoint. So he sent me his PowerPoint as well. And basically what they're saying is that when you get involved with porn, it, there's a certain part of the brain, I forget what it's called, that it creates the impulse in and eventually you don't even enjoy what you're watching, you keep looking for other things. What you have to do is you have to detoxify yourself because Alhamdulillah, Allah has created a brain in a way 
that it can fix itself and rewire right so you have to stay away for a while and do some adhkar etc food there's certain foods which are also considered to be harmful uh, for this product uh, for example one of my friends he suggests cutting out red meats because that creates heat in the body that creates impulses to do this uh, towards sexual activity Num uh, several other things uh, don't stay in bed longer than you need to be like first thing in the morning last thing at night only get in your bed to go to sleep because the way uh, that sit that state is very conducive uh, for suitable uh, for for that kind of a thing and i think these duas that i mentioned allahumma kfini because really if you the whole idea is that i need to do this because this isn't satisfying me and women are getting destroyed because of this although unfortunately some women also have this problem as well it's not just in men so i would suggest you go on to zamzamacademy.com and um it, it was on curbing sexual desires or something like that i forget what is the the title it's on there if you look for the words you'll you'll find it this is we've tried to provide solutions from different places and you keep make, you keep making dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people because so many people are involved and the the addiction is so strong De develop it's called developing immunity in a hyper hypersexualized society i mean if this if this question came from a woman i i from a woman then i'm going to suggest to you when a husband gets caught because i've had so many questions like this when a husband gets caught he's going to deny it because the woman is going to freak out the woman takes it very personally that he's doing this it makes her think aren't i good enough he doesn't like me anymore he doesn't love me anymore right sometimes so what happens then is that it makes her freak out and she doesn't react to it in a way that helps the husband the husband then tries to feel guilty and just hides it you want to help your husband to open up to you by showing him that look i understand it's a problem we're going to work through this together that's very important because otherwise it makes the relationship even worse number two it has a problem though just recently uh, heard about the case of a guy who's telling his wife to do all the stuff he sees online and she's not willing to do that because some of it is just completely crazy that and he's saying no you must you're my I, you're my wife you must do whatever i want you i've got my right that that needs because in that case how is the wife you see in a case where he knows he's guilty she can help him but if he thinks he's right and she must just do these haram things and he thinks she's just trying to get out of it then he needs therapy she needs to make a lot of dua and he needs to get help but he has to understand he's got a problem to get help but still what the wife does makes a big difference right she can help still to a certain degree in that case inshallah اللهم انت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا اله الا انت سبحانك انا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو اهله او الله we ask you 
to send your blessings upon us and to treat us with your mercy and your forgiveness. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our sins. O oh Allah, remove all of our problematic traits and, and O oh Allah, give us good qualities. O oh Allah, give us control over ourselves, over our eating and our desires. O oh Allah, allow us to only fulfill our desires in that which pleases you. O oh Allah, protect us from fulfilling our desires in that which is displeasing to you. O oh Allah, grant us pious and righteous spouses. O oh Allah, grant us healthy lives. O oh Allah, grant us healthy lives in this world and especially healthy lives in the hereafter. Protect us and our children from all of the fitna and the trials and tribulations which are out there. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of our sins, however and whenever we committed them, especially those sins which has brought difficulties in our life, caused health problems in our life, caused darknesses to come in our life, brought conflicts within us, and removed the light and the blessing. Oh Allah, we ask that you also forgive us for those sins that have become part of our life and we no longer consider them sins. Oh Allah, grant us understanding. Oh Allah, grant us blessing. Oh Allah, send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and all of those who've worked so hard to allow these programs to be organized and in whatever way or shape that they have contributed oh Allah make this a source of sadaqah jariyah for them and may it be a source of blessing for them and their families and for all of us to be forgiven before we leave from this place and O oh Allah, make the rest of our life better than the previous part of our life. Make the remaining days of our life to go better than the previous days of our life. And ultimately make the best days of our life our final days of this life. And especially the time when we stand in front of you on the day of judgment. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us gathering among the righteous on the day of judgment. And that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana Rabbik, Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun. Wassalamun al Mursaleen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.